Welcome to the second series of podcasts focusing on innovative design trials from the Health Research Authority, the NIHR CRN Coordinating Centre, and in this series, the NIHR Office for Clinical Research Infrastructure. This time, we will be discussing some of the key learning points from the COVID-19 pandemic, and we will be building on the further questions around the management and delivery of innovative design trials during the pandemic. My name is Alan Gaw, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Kirsty Weidenbach, who is Deputy Unit Manager and Senior Medical Assessor at the Clinical Trials Unit in the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. Dr Weidenbach has worked at the MHRA in various roles for more than a decade, but initially qualified in medicine at Imperial College London and then specialised in anaesthetics. She also has industry experience and holds a Master's in Pharmaceutical Medicine. Dr Weidenbach, thank you very much for speaking with me today. The MHRA, as I'm sure most of our listeners will be aware, is the key regulator of clinical trials involving drugs and devices in the UK. With the development of what have become known as complex innovative design trials, many are unsure about how the MHRA views such studies and what, as researchers, they can expect of you. So if I may, I would like to focus on that aspect of your current work. So can I begin by asking you how the MHRA would define such a study? What does the term complex innovative design trial mean to you and your colleagues? Thank you, Alan. That's a very good question to start with. Um, I think where many researchers struggle in this area is around the definition. And really, that's because there are no globally recognised definitions for these trials. A few common designs are better known, and I can come on to that in a minute. Um, but complex innovative design or SID trials are, are really those designed to answer multiple questions within a single study more efficiently and in a reduced time frame more than traditional designs. They may incorporate several development phases in a single trial, um, have multiple adaptive elements and incorporate multiple treatments and multiple indications. But the important factor really is the underlying design of the trial rather than trying to assign it to a particular term or, or definition. Um, and the MHRA actually often refers to novel design trials, but actually this doesn't represent new legislation. Rather, these trials are just larger, more complex trials that traditionally would be run as multiple separate trials. Um, basket and umbrella trials are probably the key ones that listeners may have heard of. And, and some trials then try and mix the two, evaluating multiple drugs in multiple indications, um, but with a common theme such as a specific genetic mutation. And the MHRA will generally refer to these as, as platform trials. But then where terminology can actually be confusing is that then in the United States, they often refer to basket, umbrella and platform trials as master protocols. So we certainly sympathise with, with researchers um, trying to work in this environment. And of course, complex innovative design trials don't stop there. There are many others, such as seamless phase trials, trials within cohorts and many others. And of course, we expect to see even more designs coming through in the future. But really, my key message is not to focus on what you call the design, but rather just ensuring that you have a sound hypothesis, appropriate objectives and a trial design really that fits what you wish to achieve. I suppose that really brings me to my second question about the, the authorisation of such complex innovative, innovative trials. Do they present any special challenges to you and your colleagues at the MHRA? 
Um, it can be challenging at times, definitely, yes. Um, although, actually, I would suggest that the challenge is possibly more on the sponsor side, however, um, as each design has potential pitfalls that a sponsor needs to be aware of, um, as they can easily be avoided. To highlight maybe just a couple of really important aspects that we have to look for, um, not being transparent up front about the plan for the trial can be an issue, as well as having a never-ending trial. So these trials by their very nature are adaptive, and that's acceptable, um, provided the adaptations are clearly outlined from the start and in the protocol. Many of these trials have the option to add new arms, new indications, new therapies, usually via a substantial amendment. And there are often plans for stopping an arm or a therapy if certain criteria are met. And that's fine. But the challenge is to ensure that as much of this information and the detail is included at the time that you initially come with your application to the MHRA. This not only prevents unnecessary amendments, but it means that if there are amendments in the future, that the process for possible approval is much, much smoother. And we often see a series of amendments that um, over time can morph a trial from its original purpose into actually what is considered a completely new trial. And at that point, the only option, unfortunately, that we have as the regulator is to reject that amendment. And the other challenge I just mentioned was um, for us is that these trials often appear to be never ending, um, which is, you know, which it can be an issue for these SID trials. A clinical trial really should be scientifically robust and have a clear hypothesis, a clear set of objectives to be able to answer a clear question. And a trial that is never ending can then never answer those objectives. And therefore, from our perspective, that particular trial will lack an integrity that we expect to see. But really, actually, the biggest barrier and challenge from our perspective is, is when sponsors just um, uh, don't come and ask our advice either early enough or actually ask our advice at all. So seeking advice together with including as much information up front as you possibly can is really uh, the strongest encouragement that we can give to researchers. As with, with all the studies that you're asked to authorise at the MHRA, I'm sure your, your primary concern is, is safety. And I wondered if you could just say something about how should researchers go about demonstrating that the complex, innovative design that they wish to pursue is just that, safe. I'm really glad you've asked that question. So, uh, safety is actually at the core of what our assessors review for clinical trials. But really, these trials are, are no different to any other more traditional design trials. We expect a clear rationale, as I've mentioned, and discussion of the possible and identified safety risks with all the appropriate mitigation throughout the study. So that might be through appropriate eligibility criteria, particularly exclusion criteria. It might be monitoring and assessments or, or management of adverse events should they occur. So actually where sponsors possibly need to think more carefully for safety in these particular trials is actually around aspects of good clinical practice. So as an example, these trials can often be quite large with multiple sites, multiple arms and many patients to track. There are often multiple organisations involved too, from CROs to funders, software providers, and many different research staff to coordinate. And really, it's the documentation related to these safety aspects and, and the complex aspects of these trials that needs to be kept up to date. For example, the investigators' brochures, reference safety information, and all of that sounds like it should be easy, but with the complexities and logistics of these trials, it's actually not often very straightforward. 
Are there any special considerations or requirements of such studies, such as, I'm thinking, perhaps closer monitoring or maybe more regular reporting that you ask for? In other words, what do you, the MHRA, um, your colleagues, and you and your colleagues expect of teams conducting such studies? Um, again, similar to the to the safety aspects I've just described, there aren't really any specific requirements for these trials compared to more traditional designs. It's actually very much on a case by case basis. There, there may be occasions when it is entirely appropriate for the MHRA to request that, for example, interim data is submitted to us or to discuss various aspects of the trial as, as it progresses. But this very much doesn't apply to, to all novel or complex innovative design trials. So I think in terms of what we would expect from the research teams, it's actually just to kind of carefully consider not just the regulatory aspects, such as information in the protocol or other documents, but to look at the trial across all aspects right from the start. And what this means in practice is, is planning it well and from before the trial even reaches the MHRA. So there can be a pre-planning stage that really should be about the governance, oversight, partnerships and the overall strategy, followed by careful planning stages to ensure that there's a streamlined approach to the actual trial conduct. And then whilst the trial is actually ongoing, there should be regular reviews and checks that don't necessarily have to involve the MHRA. However, the MHRA can be involved at any of those stages, and we very much have the expertise ready to provide advice at any point, whether that's quality, non-clinical, or clinical, um, but also involving our inspectorate, such as uh, the good clinical practice inspectors. We're really here to, to help the researchers as much as possible. Of course, there's currently a focus on clinical research studies as never before because of the pandemic. So I would like to end by asking you what impact coronavirus has had on your workload. In particular, have you seen more complex innovative design trials being submitted to you? Um, I think what actually what the clinical trials unit saw at the start of the pandemic was not necessarily an increase in the number of trials, but rather actually a shift in approach, um, which well, makes this a, a, a very timely um, discussion. So and it's proven a huge learning opportunity for us. Um, complex innovative design trials um, have been extremely effective in this pandemic, mainly because of the, uh, their adaptability. So we've actually reviewed over 100 COVID-19 specific trials, of which approximately 10% have been complex innovative designs, um, which is significantly more than the approximately 2 to 3% uh, that we've seen in the last few years uh, for, for the non-COVID trials using these uh, complex innovative designs. Um, so during the pandemic, we, the MHRA has helped facilitate all of these trials through a, a COVID pre-assessment and informal advice service, um, which has enabled a much more flexible regulatory approach to these, uh, to these trials. Um, and actually, we have noticed that the majority of these uh, complex uh, COVID trials have had very clear objectives, clear endpoints, with robust governance in place and very well-defined adaptations. Um, all of which, together with the increased communication and dialogue with the MHRA, um, has so far proven to be very successful. So as a final point, MHRA really is open to reviewing all of these trial designs and, and we really welcome innovative approaches. So um, as, a, as a final thought, I suppose, do come and talk to us. Um, and if you're thinking of doing something novel or, or, or something new, then we very much want to hear from you. 
I think in this conversation you've provided some very much very much needed clarity on what these types of trials are and indeed what researchers need to do and how they need to work with the MHRA to make them happen. Dr Weidenbach, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for listening. We would very much welcome your feedback on these podcasts and I hope you will join us again next time.